you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Got a confession for you today. I have this love-hate relationship with the face masks that we've been wearing for about a year plus now. And it has nothing to do with COVID. It has nothing to do with health. It actually has everything to do with privacy. You see, I kind of love these masks whenever I'm out in public because I don't know if you notice this or not, but I've got a ginormous mole on the side of my face, which is kind of like a neon light. When I'm in public, people look across the room and they can see that mole. And sometimes I'm at the grocery store, right? And I'm just trying to get something to get in, get something and get out real quickly. And then there's that lady. I recognize her halfway across the room and I'm hoping she doesn't recognize me. Y'all know who I'm talking about? You know that lady? she's the long talker, which means there's no such thing as a two-minute conversation with her. If she recognizes you, you're going to be in the store for two hours. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no, she's going to recognize me. So when I walk in with that mask and dark sunglasses and a giant sombrero, I'm hoping that the long talker doesn't know that I'm there. I kind of love the fact that the mask lets me hide a little bit whenever I'm wearing it in public. I've also got this hate relationship with the mask because this weekend I was flying back and forth to Texas and the federal laws in the United States changed. If you're watching this from around the world, we have federal laws now that basically say from the moment that you get into a public transportation system to the moment that you get out, you better have this mask on. And I wore this mask so much this weekend that I'm pretty sure there's a giant blister on the nose of my, on the bridge of my nose. And here's kind of what the safety announcement sounded like today. If you dare take that mask down to even scratch your nose, we've got a sky marshal on this plane that's going to put you in a chokehold and flex cuff you to make sure that you keep this mask on your face. And on that point, I kind of hate the fact that I have to wear this mask all the time. And you know what that mask does for me sometimes? It prevents me from being recognized. But sometimes it prevents me from being recognized. Sometimes it helps me avoid things that I don't want people to recognize. And sometimes I can hide some things that probably need to be brought out into the open. And that mask is the way that I hide from people from time to time. And I don't even need to know you to know that you do this too. You see, the gathered church, I'm going to put this on the screens, and we're going to talk about this today. The gathered church, when we come together, oftentimes people will show up wearing masks. Now, they may not show up wearing this mask, a face mask. They show up wearing a different mask. There's something inside their heart that they don't like, something that's not right inside there, and they don't want anybody else in church to know about it, so they show up with a smile on their face, acting like everything is okay. And I just want you to know something. This has nothing to do with COVID. Gathering with masks on has been a problem for the church for 2,000 years, ever since Jesus came and created his church. Because people tend to hide their sins from one another. We get embarrassed. We get ashamed. 
and we put a mask up so that nobody can see the real us. And that mask is kind of a defense mechanism. I get it. it it's human nature. But that defense mechanism also makes sure that nobody can actually really see the real you and help you when you really need help. I want you to pay close attention to the word gathering on the screens. Because the scattered church, when the Lord Jesus Christ, when his church is in the community, it is hands down the most powerful force that's ever existed on planet earth. Let me hear somebody say amen. There is nothing that has accomplished more in 2,000 years of human history than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when it gets outside of the walls and when it gets into the community. I can prove it to you by hospitals and schools and orphanages and women's shelters and addiction recovery centers and thousands more things that God's people have used to try to help folks let their mask down, help them Get real with one another and introduce them to the glorious God that we just sang about a moment ago. There's nothing more powerful on planet earth than the scattered church. But at the same time, there may be nothing more problematic on earth than the gathered church. Now let me hear you say, oh man, because this has probably been you too, right? People have problems. And anytime you get people together in a group, can be at work, can be at school, can be a hobby, can be a ball team, anytime you put people together in a group, they're going to show up with problems. And in the gathered church, you're going to have problems. And the way that people protect themselves from others' problems, the way that they protect themselves from being honest about their problem, and you may have done this before, is you put a mask on. And it may not be that face mask. It's a mask that protects people from seeing the real you. Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how our great God wants us to just get real and get vulnerable with him. And if we'll get real and if we'll get vulnerable, not just with him, but with his people, he will do incredible, amazing things in our life. We've been studying through the book of Amos. Today is the grand finale. It's chapter 9, the end of the book of Amos. And today, what you're going to read from this one chapter in the Bible is a beautiful, a vivid picture of God's salvation. But it all hangs on the idea of God's people pulling their mask down. Here's what I want you to hear today. When there's sin in your life, and I didn't say if, I said when there's sin in your life. Instead of running away from Jesus, I want you to run to him. You're going to see three very natural things from the Bible, from the book of Amos today. And if you got that mobile app, I've given you three little blanks to fill in. Because if you will fill these blanks in as we go along today, I think you're going to see the gospel in vivid color today. So here's what the Bible challenges us to do first. And it's just to get, you ready for this word? Clean or get candid with Jesus. That word candid means taking your mask off and just being vulnerable and just being real with Jesus. Now, 
you have this picture, three-step process of salvation. It always works like this in the Bible. It always works like this in a human's life. And the first step is that you get to the point where you recognize, ooh, there's something ugly inside of me that I can't fix. It's admitting your dependence on God. And you can't get to that point until you get honest with what you're seeing in the mirror. And that's what God challenges his people to do right out of the gate. Amos chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And here's what the Bible says. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. And he said, strike the capitals of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. He's talking about earthquake language. Go back and read chapter 8. Go back to uh, Amos chapter 1. Strike the capitals of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Knock them down on the heads of the people. He's talking about his people right now. And then I will kill the rest of them with the sword. None of them who flee will get away. None of the fugitives will escape. If they dig down to Sheol, from there my hand will take them. If they climb up to the heavens, if they go under the earth, I'm there. If they climb up to the heavens, from there, I will bring them down. If they go up, I'm there. If they go down, I'm there. If they hide on the top of Mount Carmel, from there, I will track them down and seize them. And if they conceal themselves from my sight, see that they're trying to hide behind masks? If they conceal themselves from my sight on the seafloor, Jonah, from there, I will command the sea serpent to bite them. And if they're driven by their enemies into captivity, from there I will command the sword to kill them. I will keep my eye on them. You should be shaking a little bit by these words, for harm and not for good. The Lord, the God of armies, if you need to know who we're talking about, Amos puts it this way. He touches the earth and it melts. And all who dwell in it mourn. All of it rises like the Nile and subsides like the Nile of Egypt. He builds his upper chambers in the heavens and he lays the foundation of his vaults on the earth. He summons the water of the sea and it pours out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. And Amos is trying to tell people how sovereign our God is. Church, I want to tell you something that you already know, but I need you to remember this. The promises of God, look up here for just a second, are only as good as the power of God. And if there was a place that you could run to that God wasn't or didn't have power over, then his promises couldn't reach you in that place. And Amos is trying to say, listen, Israel, you've made some mistakes. You've messed up. God is going to deal with you. And by the way, spoiler alert, before this is over with, God is going to rescue you back to himself. But don't think that you can run away and hide from him. Because there's literally nowhere in the universe that you could go. You can't run far enough to escape him. And I would also add, you can't run far enough to escape yourself and your own sin. So I'm saying it again, instead of running from Jesus when you've messed up and made some mistakes in your life, get candid with him and run to him. The Bible says that God is going to cause an earthquake. This is the earthquake uh, with the 
prominent pronoun there, the, the, uh, ca- the uh, big the in, in quotation marks, the earthquake that hits the land of Egypt about 762 B.C. And here's what he says. The capital pillars are going to shake. And what you see on the screens right now is the capital of a pillar, this giant uh, part at the top of a large pillar. And the Bible says not only is it going to shake, but it's going to fall down. Imagine this thing, Amos chapter 9, falling on your head. And what Amos is describing is total destruction because when it falls from the top, there's going to be nothing left as it makes its way down. The capital pillars are going to shake and this thing is going to rumble and there is nothing that anyone can do to survive the destruction. You can't run far enough. You can't hide anywhere to survive the destruction. So instead of running away from God, really what Amos is saying is, why don't you just run to him? There's a giant earthquake that Amos describes. It happens not long after he writes this book. You realize that today in the Christian calendar all over the world, people are celebrating what's called Palm Sunday, a week's worth of preparation leading up to Easter this coming Sunday morning or next Sunday. And one of the prominent events in the Bible that happened on what's called Good Friday is another earthquake. It's an earthquake that was very localized and very specialized. And God uses this earthquake to strip away everything that Israel has been trusting in. Listen, Israel went and built temples on mountaintops and worshiped false gods there. And God says, I'm going to make the earth rumble and those temples are going to crush in on themselves. And everything that you've been trusting in, except for me, it's all going to become rubble around you. The same thing happened. I don't know if you're aware of this. The very moment that Jesus dies on the cross on Good Friday, the Bible describes an earthquake. It's a very unusual earthquake because this earthquake affects Jerusalem. It affects God's temple in Jerusalem. And inside the temple, there is this large, very thick, very heavy curtain that separates what's called the most holy place, the place where God is thought to dwell personally, and then the rest of the temple. Even the priest couldn't go behind that curtain. Only one man, one day a year, could ever enter behind that curtain. He would go into God's presence, and he would ask God for forgiveness for the sins of his people. Only the high priest on the Day of Atonement could go behind that curtain. And on the moment that Jesus dies, listen to this. God himself causes an earthquake to rip the temple curtain open. And I think what the Bible is describing is God steps out from the most holy place. And now he makes himself available to you because of the blood of his son, the death of his son on the cross. Now sinful men like me, now somebody who's made some mistakes in their life like you can be made clean. And I'm begging you, when you've messed up, don't run from him. Run to him. And it starts by pulling your mask down and just getting real, just getting candid with Jesus. And then let me tell you what happens next from the book of Amos. And this is what happens in the life of anybody who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. You go from getting candid with Jesus, look up here on the screens, to getting clean by Jesus. 
You see, this is the moment where you recognize I can't clean myself up. I can't be a good person and earn my way into heaven. I need God's forgiveness. And so God steps in. And what we would call this in Bible language is repentance. It's the moment of you saying, God, I've messed up so bad that I can't fix it. God, I need you to fix what I've done wrong. I want you to see what repentance looks like in Amos chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 7. And Amos says this, Israelites, are you not like the Cushites, this pagan foreign people to me? This is the Lord's declaration. Didn't I bring Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines, Kaphtar, and Arameans from Kerr? I did all of these things for you, Israel. Look, the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom, and I will obliterate it from the face of the earth. Now, can we pause for just a second? You know, those chapter numbers and those verse numbers in the Bible, those came many hundreds of years after your Bible was written. Guys put those in the Bible to just help you find specific passages. And I'm pretty sure the guy who was putting chapter and verse numbers in the book of Amos was drunk when he got to chapter 9 because really he should have stopped at the end of that verse and started a whole nother verse on the next word. Look up here for just a second, will you? The word however in the Bible, look at this, is probably, now I'm just going to say it, it is the most important word in the entire book. The first part of chapter 9 is telling you all of the mistakes and all of the failures that you've made Amos or, or Israel, and there's nothing you can do to fix it. And then you have one word where God all of a sudden steps in, and the word however tells you what God does next. And it is amazing. It is spectacular. So let's pick up now where we left off. However, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. I can, and I should, but I won't. And this is the Lord's declaration, or you could substitute that word, the Lord's promise. For I... I'm about to give the command. And I will shake the house of Israel from among them. Uh, I will shake the house of Israel among all of the nations as one shakes a sieve, but not a pebble will fall to the ground. All the sinners among my people who say disaster will never overtake or confront us will die by the sword. God is describing what he's going to do next, and he is going to do something that, frankly, the people don't deserve. The word, however, is now God saying, I'm going to step in. I'm going to intervene. There is still hope, even though you have broken every rule with me, Israel. And he uses this word sieve. Now, anybody in this room or anybody who's watching at home who bakes a lot, you use a sieve most of the time for some kind of powdered sugar or some kind of dessert topping. But if you've been out in a wood shop or if you've been out working outdoors with your hands, maybe you've used a, a sieve because what you do is you put a lot of material in a sieve and then you shake it back and forth. And the stuff that you don't want to remain in the sieve, it just works its way through as you shake it. Imagine God shaking Israel with it like it, with an earthquake, like he has a sieve in his hand. And what he promises is everything good 
remains in that sieve. I will not let one pebble, one good thing fall to the ground. All of the bad stuff, listen to me, in your life, I'm going to shake it out of your life. It's going to fall to the ground. And what's going to be left in that sieve is pure. What's going to be left in that sieve is perfect. It's going to honor me. It's going to glorify me. God says, I'm going to fix your mess, Israel, because it's so bad, you can't fix it yourself. And by the way, Israel, it's going to hurt a little bit. But after the pain is over with, it's going to be much, much better. All of you guys that are gals that are trying to work on your beach body because the weather's starting to warm up and you're in the gym and you've been working out, you have heard this phrase before, no pain, no what? No pain, no gain, right? That pain that you experience after working out again for the first time or the first time in a long time is lactic acid that's building up in the muscles. You've put some stress on that muscle and the muscle is sore and the muscle is trying to repair itself and you have this buildup of lactic acid. And the worst thing that you could possibly do for yourself is to say, ooh, my muscles hurt after working out. I'm just not gonna work out anymore. No, the hurt that's in the muscles says you're doing something that is gonna make the muscle stronger. It's just gonna be a little bit painful at the beginning. And if you will keep working through the pain, it will get better. And you will get stronger or you'll look beautiful on that bikini in, on the beach. In that bikini, I don't know, on or in the bikini at the beach. God says, I'm going to shake my people. And it's going to hurt a little bit. And I'm going to make the stuff that doesn't need to be there go away. And what's left in there is pure and it's perfect. And I can't. Do it without hurting a little bit. So don't run away from me when it starts to hurt. When it starts to hurt, I'm starting to work. And if you will hang in there, and if you will genuinely repent, it's going to be painful to look in the mirror and to say, I've messed up so bad that I can't fix it. But if you do, now you have, you're in a position where God can do the third and the final thing that we see from the book of Amos, and y'all, this is where it gets good. Amos really did save the best for last. And I don't know if you love a happy ending, but this is about as good of an ending as you're ever going to read about in the Bible. You see, it goes from getting candid with Jesus and taking your mask off and saying, Jesus, I've messed up to getting clean by Jesus. He shakes you and gets rid of all of that stuff because you've genuinely repented. And finally, now you're at the point where you can get close to him and he can get close to you and he can restore what you or I have broken. There's three words that I want you to see in this last passage from the book of Amos. Three beautiful words that describe what happens after a man or a woman run to Jesus and not from him with sin in their life. Here it comes. We're going to start at verse 11, and we're just going to wrap up the rest of this book today. In that day, I will restore. Let me hear you say the word restore. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. This is God talking about how he's going to put back together what Israel has broken. I will repair its gaps. Say the word repair. 
I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and I will rebuild. Say rebuild. I will rebuild it like nothing happened. I will rebuild it as in the days of old so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration. This is the promise of the Lord. And you can take it to the bank. He will do this. And it just goes from better to best. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's promise, the Lord's declaration. When the plowman will overtake the reaper. And the one who treads grapes, the sower of the seed. The mountains, look at this imagery, will drip with sweet wine. And all of the hills that have been barren because of this earthquake will flow with sweet wine. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them in their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken and you can take it to the bank For some of you who are a little bit older, you saw these verses come to pass with your own eyes. Right after World War II, when the United Nations recognized the nation of Israel again and people from all over the world who have been displaced, some of them for almost 3,000 years, returned back to their land and started planting and growing again. And I need you to understand that God's Grace is greatest when your sin is ugliest. That when you are most in need, when your sin is most difficult, that's when God has, shows off with his power and he steps in and he moves in a sovereign way to restore you and to rebuild what's been broken in your life. You see, the pastor, author, Paul Tripp said it this way, Jesus is our sovereign Savior. And if Jesus isn't sovereign, then he doesn't have the power to save. But if Jesus is sovereign, then he has the power to save anything that's going on in your life. And if you will run to him, and if you will bow before him, and if you will admit it, take down your mask and just say, Jesus, I've messed up, and get candid with him. And he says, I know you have. You're not hiding anything from me. And I hear you. And I'm standing ready to clean you up. If you'll let me. And when you genuinely repent, that just simply says, God, I admit it. I agree. I've made a mess. And not only do I admit I've made a mess, but I'm not going to live like this anymore. With your help, by your power, I'm going to live different. Jesus says, now I can get close to you and you can get close to me. And now, through my spirit, I can give you the power to live the kind of life you were supposed to live all along, but you were just trying to do it on your own, and it's never going to work that way. And now I can restore. Now I can rebuild. Now I can repair the mess that you've made in your life. And it may get a little bit painful, but don't let the pain cause you to run away, both from God And from his people. I think what we're reading about in the Bible is God's painful, 
but needful scalpel of surgery. See, there's something in your life. It's not good. And it's so embedded in your life that I'm going to have to cut it out. And cutting it out is going to be a little bit painful. And it might even leave a scar, but you're going to be infinitely better off after it's gone. This weekend, I met a guy who had an injury at work. Get these numbers, y'all. He broke an arm, went to the doctor. It took, no kidding, five metal plates and 29 screws to put one arm back together. And the doctors didn't want to put a hard cast on his arm because they said, you'll, you'll completely lose your range of motion if we do that. The best thing that we can do is we're going to put this little um, medical sleeve on your arm, and you better be really, really careful that you don't touch it on anything because it's going to be like a hot poker digging in your skin. So I saw him yesterday, and he said, hey, do you want to see the scar? I was like, heck yeah, I want to see a scar. I want to see what it looks like when you've got five plates and 29 screws in your arm. And he gently pulled down the sleeve and he showed this gnarly scar. And basically, as long as you trust in the surgeons, as long as you take good care of it, you will get most, if not all, of your strength back. But if you try to just hide that and act like it isn't there, you will struggle and never get strong for the rest of your life. And I call this God's painful but his needful scalpel of surgery where he's cutting away the gauze and showing us what it looked like after he's done surgery on an area of our life. And yeah, it hurt a little bit while he was doing it, but we're infinitely better off because he has done some surgery on some stuff that doesn't need to be in our life. I want to just summarize everything that you've heard from Amos chapter 9 today. Here's how the the, the Bible, here's the, the way that this played out in the Bible today. Now that you're candid with Jesus, now he can make you clean. And now that you're starting to get clean by Jesus, now he can draw you close. And now that Jesus is drawing you close, now he can start to restore or he can start to rebuild what's been broken in your life. And I don't know anybody on the planet that doesn't need to hear what the Bible says today. I'm not just talking about somebody who is far from Jesus and never stepped across the line of faith. I'm talking about every Christian on the planet who sometimes messes up and we have this natural tendency to run from him instead of running to him. So I want to just leave you with a challenge. Maybe you're at home and you're watching this for the first time. Maybe you're in this room and you're watching it in the first time. And maybe it's occurred to you, I've never done what you just described, Jeff. I mean, I've been to church. I've read the Bible. I've prayed. I even walked down an aisle when I was a little girl or a little boy, but it didn't mean anything to me. And what I've heard today, I need to do that for the first time. And maybe right where you're at, you need to repent and to run to Jesus, holding nothing back, hiding nothing for the first time. In just a moment, if that's you, I'm going to pray for you. My guess is most of us watching this, almost all of us, if not everybody right now, would say, you know what? There's something inside my soul that I don't really think I want anybody else to see. I'm, I think I would be embarrassed if Jesus knew this thing inside my soul. And this thing causes Christians... 
to sometimes get out of fellowship with him. And here's what the Bible says. If you will return to God, he will return to you. In fact, he'll meet you. And like the prodigal's father, wrap his arms around you and throw a cloak over you and welcome you back in as an honored son or a daughter into his family. And maybe you've been hiding something from Jesus, and today is the day for you to just get real with him and candid with him about it. And if that's you, I'm going to ask that you run to him. And not just to him, but that you also run to his people this week. Would you just bow your heads? And this is a holy time, so would you just openly, honestly, before God, silently in your heart, start to admit, maybe there's some things in there that shouldn't be there. Right there in your living room or right here in this room, would you just simply admit to God something that he already knows but you're kind of embarrassed about? Would you just admit that thing that's in your life that you don't like and you don't want it there anymore? And would you just simply say, Jesus, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. And Jesus, I can't fix this. I've tried, but I can't fix this area of my life. And so I'm running to you right now. And I'm taking my mask down and I'm getting real with you and I'm asking you to work on this area of my life because I can't fix it. And I'm asking you to do some surgery and to restore or rebuild the thing that I've messed up in my life. And then I want to promise you something, Christian, that the loving God that Amos describes, this beautiful happy ending at the end of the book of Amos, that God is waiting to respond to your honest prayer right now, that he hears that prayer and that he will honor that prayer if it's coming from a sincere heart. So Christian, hear me. Your sins are forgiven if you're honest, if you're sincere, and if you're laying them at the feet of Jesus right now. But I need somebody who's watching this broadcast at home or in this room who has never truly repented, never truly stepped across the line of faith and said, I can't do it anymore. I've tried to be a good person. I even tried to be religious. And really what I was trying to do, God, is earn my way into heaven. And I believe that Good Friday, the message that you were willing to send your son to leave heaven and to live a perfect life here on earth and to die this terrible death on the cross. That message says, I can't be good enough to get into heaven on my own. If I could get in on my own, then the death of Jesus was unnecessary. And so right here, right now, God, you know me and you know this is real. I'm turning from my sins and I am turning to your son, Jesus, for the first time and I'm saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, I've made a mess. And I'm also claiming the promises of the Bible that they took his body off of a cross, laid it in a tomb, and three days later, the one who was dead came back out of the tomb alive. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead is also available to me to raise me up and to turn me into a new man, a living creature, a new woman for the first time. And so God, here I am. I'm running to you, and I'm not running away from you. I'm asking you to move in my life. I'm asking you to restore something 
that I've made a mess of. And Father, I'm laying all of these things at the feet of Jesus right now. It's in his name that I pray this. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.